Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Hey guys, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Grant. I work with uh, the men's ministry staff team. Uh, and I first just want to say thank you for being willing to kind of make a last minute shift uh, and meet offsite with your groups this week. Uh, we know that that can be a little bit stressful uh, or frustrating even, but we're grateful. There's just a lot of crazy things uh, going on uh, on Southeast campus with the Global Missions Health Conference this week. And so uh, we're grateful that you were willing uh, to shift like that. Um, and we're excited to uh, be in this week of Man Challenge with you, even though it's a little bit different than uh, what we might have anticipated. Uh, one thing to remember is that next week we will be back in person like regular. We're going to be finishing out our uh, uh, really Man Challenge semester, but this series specifically. But we'll be back next week in person in the block. Uh, both Thursday and Saturday like usual. So uh, come back for that. We're excited to kind of uh, finish off the the semester together. So back next week. Uh, but this week we are continuing our Lessons with the Least of These series uh, where we're looking at Jesus's heart for uh, groups of people who are often cast out by society. Uh, so we've talked about Christ's heart for sick people, Christ's heart for women, and this week we're going to be talking about Christ's heart for outsiders or for uh, people uh, who are foreigners or, or often uh, avoided uh, because of their uh, race or nationality. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Christ's heart for outsiders, and I'm excited to introduce you uh, our speaker for today uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, one, I'm just confident that he's going to uh, teach us something valuable, something that's really helpful uh, and beneficial to our souls, um, but two, because uh, he is someone who has impacted me uh, personally um, in an extraordinary uh, manner. Uh, his name is Jason Posnick, and I know you guys probably don't know that name. He's new to our ministry here. Uh, he's not in our ministry, but uh, his name is Jason Posnick, and he was my preaching professor uh, at Bible college. So before I came here to Southeast, I attended a little Bible college in Missouri, and uh, Jason Posnick, uh, who I was not allowed to call Jason Posnick, uh, <laughs> in Bible college was my preaching professor and I learned so much from him. He's the reason that I love uh, teaching God's word. He's a lot of the reason why I'm at Southeast right now. He's been a big, big encouragement to me uh, and I am just constantly uh, encouraged and challenged by how uh, faithful um, yet engaging a Bible teacher he is. So I'm grateful for him and I'm excited that he's going to be teaching us today as we continue through this series. Uh, after I left Bible college, he also left that Bible college to uh, take the preaching professor role at Ozark Christian College, which you might, uh, you might know as the school that Kyle Eidelman, our senior pastor, and a variety of other people on staff attended. Um, for their degree. So uh, he's the preaching professor there now. He's got a doctorate degree uh, from Biola or Talbot School of Theology out in California, uh, a doctorate in homiletics and preaching and things like that. And I'm just really excited for him to take his expertise uh, and really just 
talk to us about this text today uh, and help us continue to walk through this series. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, talking about Christ's heart for outsiders, and you guys are hearing from my former preaching professor and now just a, a good friend and mentor, Jason Posnick. Well, thank you for that introduction, Grant. Uh, two, two statements of clarification I need to make, however. Uh, first statement, I never required Grant to call me Mr. Posnick. I always gave students the permission to call me Jason on the very first day of class, but for some reason, Grant thought he had to call me Mr. Posnick. Uh, second word of clarification, Grant, technically, you can't call me Mr. Posnick anymore. You called me Mr. Posnick once in your intro video, but it's either Jason or it's Dr. Posnick. It's either or. And isn't that kind of the world that we live in? We live in an either or kind of world. You're either for us or you're against us. You're either with us or you're with them. You're either a friend or you're a foe. And in this either or world, it feels like the world is always kind of pushing you to choose sides. It's either Apple or PC. It's either Marvel or DC. And in this case, it's obviously Marvel. It's either UK or Louisville. Either Democrat or Republican. Either pro-mask or anti-mask. Pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. Pro-Black Lives Matter or pro-police force. It feels like the world is always kind of pushing you to choose sides. It's either or. During the last election cycle, my wife and I were kind of prayerfully thinking through who we would vote for at the presidential election, congressional elections, state elections, local elections. And as we were just kind of wrestling through our options and, and praying over our choices, we were struggling to find candidates that, that we felt comfortable voting for. And as we talked about kind of our wrestlings and our prayers with our family members, one family member said, well, you know, if you don't vote for candidate X, then you're voting for candidate Y. And I thought to myself, that's not how math works. Just because you don't vote for one candidate doesn't mean they credit another candidate's account with a vote. But, but you see the trap that she fell into. She fell into the trap of an either-or world. You're either with us or you're with them. And in this either-or world that we live in, it kind of creates an insider-outsider paradigm. Those who are with us, who look like us and who talk like us and who act like us and who vote like us and who work where we work and live where we live and do what we do, they're insiders. And those who don't, well, they're, they're outsiders. This either-or world that we're living in kind of creates insiders and outsiders. And I don't know about you, but I know for me there have been times where I have felt like an outsider. And I'm guessing you probably have too. 
In fact, it may be that some of you feel like outsiders when you show up to, to Man Challenge every weekend. You look around the room at all these other men and it, it seems like they are so much further down the road of spiritual maturity than you are. They're so close to Jesus and you're so distant from Jesus and you feel like an outsider. It could be that you feel like an outsider because of, of your past. You've made some mistakes, you made some poor choices, and you've always been hesitant to open up in front of the rest of the group because you think if they knew how messy your past was, they wouldn't accept you. You'd be, you'd be an outcast. Could be that you feel like an outsider because of your age. You've been cast aside because you're too old or you've been overlooked because you're too young and you feel like an outsider. Maybe you feel like an outsider because of your personality. You're an Enneagram five and it seems like everybody else is an Enneagram eight or you're an introvert and everybody else seems like an extrovert. And because of that, you, you feel like you don't belong. You look around the room at everybody else and, and nobody else looks like you. And so you feel like an outsider. But maybe it's not at man challenge where you feel like an outsider. Maybe you feel like an outsider when you walk into the auditorium every weekend for weekend services. You see everybody else raising their hands, worshiping, taking notes as Kyle preaches, praying fervently during communion. And you just feel kind of empty inside. And as you look around the room, you start to think to yourself, I don't know that I belong here. You feel like an outsider. But maybe it's not at weekend service where you feel like an outsider. Maybe it's, it's in the ministry that you've been volunteering with. You've recently started to volunteer with the, the greeting team and you, you gather together early every Sunday morning. You pray together and go over some last minute instructions. And when you walk through the door of that room, it seems like everybody else already knows one another. They're having these side conversations. And so you just kind of walk to the side of the room by yourself. You feel like you don't belong. You feel like an outsider. You've been in this study recently, learning some lessons from Jesus about how he, he treated people that we might call the least of these. And today we're gonna take a look at a story of someone who by all accounts would be considered an outsider. Someone who didn't really belong. And in this story, we're gonna see how Jesus responds to this outsider. And I, I want to answer this question as we take a look at this story. How does Jesus respond to this either or world that he encounters? How does he engage with this insider-outsider paradigm that he sees all around him in his ministry? And as we see how Jesus responds to, to this paradigm, to this world, Maybe it'll help us see how we ought to respond to the either-or world that we live in as well. The story that we're going to take a look at is in Mark chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, that's, that's where we'll be. You can go ahead and turn there now. If you've got your devices, feel free to take them out and turn to Mark chapter 7. I will be reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT. If you happen to be in your Bible app and you want to kind of switch versions just to follow along, that's the one I'll be reading from. And as our story begins in Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus trying to just kind of get away a little bit. 
try to find some quiet, to, to become unnoticed, unseen. But no matter where Jesus went, he, he couldn't go unnoticed. And so immediately word gets out that, that Jesus shows up and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, there's this woman who comes bursting through the doors and she's a desperate outsider. And she falls at Jesus' feet, begging Jesus to help. Take a look with me at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. Some translations say unclean spirit. And she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Then the verse ends by telling us that she was a Gentile. She was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. And right out of the gate, Mark gives us several hints that this woman is an outsider. She doesn't really fit in. She doesn't really belong. Here's the first hint. She was from the city of Tyre. Tyre was outside the borders of Israel. She was a non-Jew, living amongst non-Jews. People who didn't look, think, or act Jewish. And to everybody around Jesus, she would be seen as an outsider because of where she lived. Second hint that Mark gives us, she is a she. And last week, you, you heard about the conditions of, of women in the first century world. And because she is a she, she would be seen as an outsider. That's the second hint. Here's the third hint that Mark gives us. She has a little girl who has an unclean spirit, which is just another phrase for being demon-possessed. And it was believed by many, not by all, but by many in the first century, that if demon possession entered into your home, into your family, it was probably because your family deserved it. Because somebody in your family had lived such an unclean spiritual lifestyle, such a wicked and evil and corrupt life, that they deserved demon possession. So it wouldn't be suggesting that this little girl had done something to deserve it, but many would believe that somebody in her family had lived in such a way that it kind of opened up the window to the soul of this family so that this little girl ends up being demon-possessed. Now, I'm not suggesting that's what happened, but that's what some people believed about her condition. That's the third hint we have, that she would have been seen as an outsider. Her family would have been seen as unclean. Here's the fourth hint Mark gives us in these few verses that she's an outsider. She was a Gentile. She was a Greek. Probably means she spoke Greek and was influenced by Greek culture as she lived along this uh, city in the, the Phoenician coast of the Mediterranean Sea. She was, by all accounts, an outsider. But Mark wants us to note that she wasn't simply an outsider. She was a desperate outsider. When she gets word that, that Jesus is in town, she barges through the house that Jesus is staying in, and she falls at his feet, 
in an act of desperation and begins pleading, begging with Jesus, would you please do something to help my little girl? And can I just, can I just ask you, do you have that kind of humble desperation? Have you ever been desperate enough that you would be willing to fall at the feet of Jesus and cry out, pleading with him, please, please help? Maybe one of your children, maybe for your spouse, maybe for a friend who's, who's far from God. This woman takes a posture of humble desperation, falling at Jesus' feet, begging for help. And when, when Jesus sees her humble desperation, he, he, he cups her chin and lifts, lifts it up and wipes the tears away from her eyes smiles, responds with gentleness and compassion and tender mercy. At least, that's how we would assume Jesus would respond, with a, a merciful and gracious, gracious touch. But Jesus actually responds in a rather unconventional and unexpected way. Look at what he says in verse 27. First, I should feed the children my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Did Jesus just insult this desperate mother, calling her a dog? Now, scholars debate what exactly Jesus is meaning by using this statement. Clearly, he is referring to Israel as the children in this little metaphor. He is to feed the children Israel first. And while he's feeding the children, it wouldn't be right to feed Gentiles, dogs. Maybe, maybe Jesus is just trying to kind of tease out her question a little bit to see the motivation behind it. Is she asking for the right motives? Maybe he assumes that She's been influenced by pagan magicians in and around Tyre who would go around and performing these kind of one-off magic tricks. And he's wanting to, to clarify, hey, I, I'm not a pagan magician. I'm, I'm not like that. I don't do those kind of miracles. But most scholars would agree that Jesus is, is pointing out, drawing out his unique mission. Look, he, he could go around from house to house village to village, and perform whatever kind of healing or miracle or exorcism that was needed. But in order to do that, he would have to abandon his unique mission that started first with Israel and then would extend to outsiders. He's, he's kind of telling this woman, hey, I I could go around and, and, and I could respond to every desperate plea that came my way. But if I did that, it would only be offering a short-term fix, a short-term solution. The best way for me to help you in the long term is for me to stay focused on my unique mission that first focuses on Israel and then by extension blesses outsiders. On first glance, it seems like Jesus is saying, that his, his mission, 
is a mission for insiders only. And Jesus uses the metaphor of food. And I, I brought with me some of my wife's homemade rolls. And my wife is a wonderful cook. She always has been. And it feels like every time I eat some of her homemade food, I'm like God in Genesis 1. I take a bite and I think to myself, it is good. But when I eat my wife's homemade rolls, I say, it is very good. You might be wondering, how good are these rolls? Let me, let me tell you how good these rolls are. I've got a nephew who's 12. His birthday is around Christmas. And so last Christmas, we were getting ready for, for his birthday. And we, so we asked him, what do you, what do you want for, for your birthday? And he got kind of a sheepish grin on his face. And he said, could I just, could I just have a pan of Aunt Kayla's homemade rolls? And we were like, that's, that's what you want for your 12th birthday present? Just a, a pan of rolls? And he said, yeah, I just, I just want some rolls. And so my wife made him a pan of her homemade rolls and he devoured them in less than 24 hours. Every time we have a family get together, my wife has to make two pans of rolls, one for everyone else and one for my nephew. Anytime he's at our house, the first thing he does when he walks through the doors is goes to my, my wife and says, Aunt Kayla, do you have any rolls? And, and there's something about food that indicates who we welcome and who we accept. We don't we don't invite just anybody to the table. When we share our bread, when we share our food, it's a way of saying, you're an insider to us. You're welcome, you're accepted, you belong here. But it's almost like Jesus says, you see this? You see this bread? It's for insiders only. Outsiders need not apply. It's almost like he, he puts a no-touching sign up in front of his bread. It's kind of like two siblings who share a room together growing up. One of them is clean. One of them is a bit unclean, a little messy. And eventually, the clean sibling gets frustrated with the unclean sibling and kind of draws a line down the middle of the room and says, you keep your stuff on that side. I'll keep my stuff on this side. Your junk should stay over there. And that's, that's kind of what it feels like Jesus is doing in his response to this woman. You keep your junk over there. My, my food is for insiders only. It's like he puts up a no trespassing sign and says, keep out. That's what it looks like on the surface, at least. But is this enough to keep her out? Oh, not at all. She is a desperate outsider, but more importantly, she's a desperate mama. And so she, she presses the matter a little bit further and she responds with great faith in verse 28. Take a look at how she responds in verse 28. She replies, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. She doesn't really even question Jesus calling her a dog. She just kind of acknowledges it. Yeah, I, I don't deserve your help. I am I'm nothing but a dog. But what she questions 
is the idea that the unique mission of Jesus has to be completed amongst the Jews first before it can be extended to the outsiders. She says, look, Jesus, while you're taking your bread and, and while you're feeding your children, the Jews, I don't mind just hanging out under the table and grabbing some of the scraps. I don't mind just grabbing a few crumbs that fall. I'll take the crumbs. I'll accept crumbs. And maybe that's, maybe that's a word that we need to hear today. Are you so desperate for Jesus that you would be willing to accept crumbs that fall from his table? Would you be willing to accept just a crumb of his grace, just a crumb of his mercy, just a crumb of his compassion, just a crumb of his gentleness, just a crumb of his power that transforms our lives? Because this story tells us that we are crumb people. We are people who don't deserve anything more than the crumbs that fall from Jesus' plate. This woman is, is desperate enough that she will humbly accept the crumbs that Jesus offers. She says, I don't have to have an entire roll. Just give me the crumbs. I'll take whatever you have to offer, Jesus. And, and whether or not we're, we're willing to accept the crumbs that Jesus offered doesn't, doesn't really matter if Jesus isn't willing to offer any crumbs. I mean, Jesus has already responded in, in one unconventional and one unexpected way in this text. Who's to say he might not respond in another unexpected and unconventional way? Oh, but this time, this time he responds in a way that demonstrates his inclusiveness, his embrace of those on the outside, his welcome of those who need to be welcomed. Look how he responds in verses 29 and 30. He says, good answer. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. This story is also told in Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's account, Matthew explicitly says that it was her faith that prompted Jesus to cast out this demon. But what's explicit in Matthew's gospel is implicit in Mark's gospel. It is her faith that is breaking through this barrier, this either-or world that Jesus was living in, this insider-outsider paradigm, and inviting the outsider to become an insider. Can, can we just... Can we just trace this thread for a minute through Mark's gospel? I want us to see this thread of, of the kingdom of God breaking in for the outsider. You don't have to turn in your Bibles or, or flip in your phones, but let me just back up to Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes to, to a region that was known to have a number of outsiders. It was called the Decapolis. And one particular outsider there was possessed by a number of demons. And Jesus cast out the demons and put this man back in his right mind. 
giving us a glimmer of hope for outsiders. Then he crosses back over to interact with insiders. He teaches them, and as he's giving them spiritual food, he has compassion on them, and he realizes they're, they're hungry. So he finds out how much, how much food they've got, and he takes some bread, and he, he passes it around, and he feeds thousands of people. The same people that he's been feeding spiritually, he feeds physically. But they're insiders. And, and while he is talking with insiders, he ends up talking with some religious insiders. And they have this conversation about what type of food is clean and what type of food is unclean. Why do the disciples not wash their hands according to, to the law the way that they should? And Jesus ends up responding by saying, you know, it's not really the food that we put in our mouth that makes us unclean. It's actually what comes out of our mouth that makes us unclean. In essence, Jesus declares all foods clean. Foods that used to be unclean for eating now became clean for food. And if it's true of food, is it possible it was also true of people? Those who had been unclean now could be declared clean. That was certainly true for the woman in our story. But was she just an anomaly, an outlier, an exception? Or is she becoming the norm? Well, as we continue tracing this thread through Mark's gospel, we see that in the very next story, Jesus returns to the region of the outsiders, the Decapolis. He performs another healing, and while he's there, he begins to feed them spiritually. He, he teaches the outsiders as well. And just like he had compassion on the insiders a couple chapters earlier, he has compassion on the outsiders. And he realizes that as he's been feeding them spiritually, they're also hungry physically. And so once again, he takes food, and you guessed it, bread, and he passes it around and he feeds thousands of outsiders as, as kind of a hint that this good news is breaking in to the outsiders. And then if we keep tracing this thread a little bit later, we see Jesus predicting his death. He'll be rejected. He'll be crucified, but on the third day, he'll rise from the dead, conquering death. And if we just fast forward about six chapters or so in Mark's gospel, we get to the last night of Jesus' life. And on the last night of Jesus' life, he's in an upper room. He takes some bread, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. He passes it around to his disciples and he says, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after he gave thanks, he passed it around saying, drink all of you, this is my blood, offered for your forgiveness. And through his broken body and his blood shed on the cross, you and I, who were once far off, who were once distant from God, who were outsiders, have been invited to become insiders. We live in a world that, that gives us this insider-outsider paradigm. 
And although we live in an either-or world, we serve a both-and king. We serve a king who says, I didn't just come for insiders. I didn't just come for outsiders. It's not an either-or world that I'm designing, that I'm recreating. I came to turn outsiders into insiders. I came to create a both-and kind of kingdom. And there may be some of you here this weekend. You're outsiders. Outsiders because, because you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. Because you've kind of been running your life, running away from God, doing your own thing. And you need to know that, that Jesus' offer of forgiveness extends to you. That he wants to extend his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. He wants to take the outsider and make them an insider. Through his blood shed on the cross to give you forgiveness. And so if you're here today and you've never made that decision to put your trust in him, then I would strongly encourage you to talk to one of your leaders at the end of our time today. But I know, I know there are a lot of us in this room who are insiders. And it's possible that we've been guilty of treating others as outsiders. Maybe it's even somebody who shows up to church. They show up to church or maybe to man challenge and they look strung out like they've been taking something recently. And, and the look that we give them says everything. It says you don't belong here. It says, you're not one of us. It says you're an outsider. Or maybe it happens with your, with your neighbors. By and large, most of your neighbors are pretty good neighbors. The kind of neighbors that you have over for dinner, share a meal with. The kind of neighbors who pick up your mail when you're out of town. The kind of neighbors whose flowers you water when they're on vacation. But you have this one set of neighbors. They're a little crazy always creating some tension and conflict in the neighborhood. And so you've just kind of distanced yourself from them. You've kept them at arm's length. You don't really want to have anything to do with them. You treat them like an outsider, not extending the kind of welcome that Jesus has extended to you. But this story tells us that Jesus is creating a both-and kind of world. And we got to be both and kind of people. The kind of people who see that strung out guy who shows up to church and goes and sits next to him and invites him to the table to encounter the bread that Jesus has to offer. We're to be the kind of both and people who invite those crazy neighbors into our own home, sharing a meal with them. And by extension, sharing the bread that Jesus has to offer with them. We have this, this world that tries to create divisiveness, that tries to make it insider-outsider, tries to make it either-or. But Jesus is creating a kingdom that is both and. A kingdom that takes outsiders and makes them insiders, that takes those who are unaccepted and they find acceptance, takes those who were unwelcome and offers them a welcome, those who had no home and gives them a place to belong, those who had not been seen and he sees them, those 
who were distant from God now are brought near. Those who used to be foes now become friends. Those who used to be rivals now become neighbors. Because in this either-or world, we are serving a both-and king. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 